I'm going to slide this over here. There's a lot of good things that are going to be on that screen, and I want to try to get out of your way. Today is Orphan Sunday. It's a big day. It's a day of celebration. It's a day of worship. It's a different day. Today, the church is gathered literally all around the world, and we're, we're collectively declaring, today, we are your children, adopted by your grace, and we are worshiping you, Father, for that. While at the same time, we're wrestling with the question of how. How can we be a better picture, a better reflection of God's heart and his passion for the orphan and the world around us? Today, we're going to try to get at his heart. We're going to try to show you his passion. We're going to do that through the voices of people in our church who are called to this cause, whether through adoption, foster, or other ways, as you're about to hear. We got a great story from Rebecca Fowler. She and her husband, Parker, are in our small group, and uh, I love them. I love watching our families grow together. Uh, but she's got a story, a story of how she can leverage an ordinary opportunity with the passion of the gospel and make a kingdom impact. Check it out. I'm Rebecca Fowler. I'm a teacher at Jackson Academy and the upper school student activities coordinator. So last year around this time, my husband and I were, we were just visiting Fondren Church at that point and Orphan Sunday was one of the first times that we were here and I've always had a heart for adoption in general because my husband was adopted uh, so that's always been important to us but fostering was just not something that I thought about uh, but then uh, when the panel was talking and Emily Moore was talking about the number of foster families that are in our area I was just blown away uh, that that was right down the street. Uh, so, and since I teach at Jackson Academy, um, there are families right around my school that are foster families and foster kids. Uh, so I knew that if I didn't know that, then more than likely my teenagers at school didn't either. So one of the parts of my job is that I oversee the student government. Uh, we always have a Christmas project and uh, last year at this time we didn't know what our Christmas project was going to be so I reached out to my kids at school and said hey did y'all know that there are this many foster kids in our area and of course they did not know and would we want to do something and so they all said yes and I said okay do y'all want to work at the party or what do you want to do and being teenagers, uh, they said, can we get them gifts? <laughs> so uh, we kind of went through the logistics of how that would work and I talked to Emily and she was so pumped and uh, so we did a gift drive for the Christmas party uh, and got 300 gifts that were given out. Uh, they had so much fun doing it and I hope it open their eyes to what's going on right here in Jackson. Doing it again this year uh, when I asked the kids, I said, you know, Christmas coming up, what are we going to do? Uh, they were like, are they doing that party again? <laughs> so I was like, yeah, we can do gifts again. So uh, that is, that's the plan. So I think being aware is huge because, I mean, I just, I wasn't, but um, that it's right here and backyards, uh, being aware, and um, we have so many ways here at church to help, even if it's bringing stuff by that you have that a foster family could come pick up if they needed it. 
you know, using your everyday role however you can. That's cool. Here she is, live and in color. Uh, she visited last year. If you didn't pick that up, she visited uh, on Orphan Sunday last year. And I don't think that was any accident that you did that. We had a huge response to our Christmas party that we do every year. And you're a big reason why. But what is it about foster care that makes you so jump, uh, passionately jump in? Uh, well, like I said in the video, always had a heart for adoption. Um, and even more so after... Uh, marrying my husband, but foster kids were not something that I really thought about um, all that often. But um, I do think about kids all the time because um, they're so prominent in my life. I've got two kids at home, and then I also claim roughly 400 teenagers as well. Um, and so all I could think about last year when Emily was talking about this many foster kids was what if that was one of mine that I was with every day and how would I want them to feel, especially this time of year that's so family oriented, um, how would I want them to feel? And I'd want them to feel loved. Um, and so I just, I knew when she was talking that I needed to try to do something. What's God teaching you about his heart? as you leverage your, your sphere of influence for his glory? That he can use anyone. Um, it's, I've heard it all my life, and it's all through Scripture that he does use the everyday person. Um, it's always the normal person or the underdog. Um, and if you ask him for an opportunity, he'll, he'll give it to you. Um, so you don't have to have superpowers to be used. But that's what I love about your story. I love that about your story. I love how it just says, hey, I, maybe I'm not called to adopt. Maybe I'm not necessarily called to foster, but I can do something. So what would you say to somebody out here today who maybe is not, they're, they're, maybe they're wrestling with something right now internally, but they're not, maybe not all the way in for adoption or fostering. What would you tell that person? To ask, um, ask God for the opportunity uh, and he'll put it in your pathway and ask how you can help. Um, ask Emily uh, after uh, church today, ask Van, ask, um, we were so many things here, um, programs that we have that work um, specifically with this. So just ask how you can help and they will probably find something that you could do. There are some that will find something for you to do. Rebecca, thank you. Y'all give her a round of applause. Next up are Brett and Allison Barnhill. You may have seen them if you've been here the last uh, three, four weeks. Uh, but they got an awesome story about how God called them near, far, and back near. And let's watch it. We're Brett and Allison Barnhill. And we have two boys, Bo and Hunter Barnhill. Bo is four and Hunter is seven months. So for the last six years, we've lived in Lesotho. Uh, we work with Reclaim Project. At the beginning of the year, um, an opportunity presented itself for uh, us to move home and me to take over as the executive director. And Reclaim uh, exists to help churches uh, come up with solutions to care for orphans. So Lesotho is a landlocked country inside of South Africa and there we have two orphan care centers. So Sub-Saharan Africa has uh, over 50 million orphans 
and 12 million of those orphans are orphaned due to HIV and AIDS. And so in Lesotho, what we try to do is identify the orphans that are most vulnerable. And so we help the church uh, identify those kids and then bring them into a program where they can be cared for, they can be loved, they can hear the gospel. Our hope is that we can equip the churches to do this in a way that's sustainable, so long-term to where they won't be dependent on reclaimed or other outside donations, but using the gifts and skills of people inside the church, we help them come up with income-generating projects like chicken projects, goat projects, um, things like that, so that from that profit, they can meet the needs of the children in the church, the orphans in the church, how they uh, best see fit. So Reclaimed uh, has a desire to work with uh, people around the world uh, who are living under oppression, so orphans and the poor in Africa, but also right here in Mississippi we have people who are living in extreme poverty and are, are in, in huge need. And so there's a, uh, a man named Lance Reed, and uh, Lance connected Reclaimed with March Mississippi because it's one of the um, towns in the Mississippi Delta that uh, needs uh, so much. And so um, we went there, we visited, we met with the leadership uh, in March Mississippi and just asked what are the biggest needs in your community? And they said overwhelmingly and unanimously that the biggest need is for teachers. And so uh, God opened a door for us to purchase a building and renovate that building. And in the building we have seven uh, teachers who are living there, living missionally, and teaching in the school system. But also we have an after school program that we've taken in uh, middle schoolers. And after school we're bringing them in, teaching them God's Word, helping them with their homework, and just building relationships that will lead to uh, spiritual conversations. And so, you know, Reclaim is about helping uh, the oppressed, seeking justice uh, for the oppressed and those who are in need. And so we don't want to just do that overseas there's so many different systemic injustices that are happening in our own state in our own country and so we felt like God wanted us to do something here in Mississippi. We as Reclaim Project are really excited to be officing out of a church. Um, while Reclaim Project is a vehicle we really believe that the calling is not just on us as a nonprofit but as us as the body of Christ. So in the same way that we're working with churches in Africa to help them meet needs in their community, we see that as um, part of our role at Fondren Church, is to work with members of Fondren Church and with the, with the body here to connect them with needs both abroad and here in the state of Mississippi and Marks. And so having the support of the church is, um, is a huge, huge blessing to us and a huge part of what we feel our identity and our call is, which is not to work and operate apart from the church, but together with the church. That's good. Um, awesome, really. You guys are members in our church, and so we're happy to have you. Uh, but you had a passion for the orphan before you jumped in at Reclaimed. Tell us how that passion began. Yeah, so, um, <clears throat> so many things in Alice and I's life, you know, I like to call them God markers where you can look back and see, you know, these flags along the hills of, of kind of what God's done in your life. And um, so there's a few things I know for us, for me uh, at a young age, uh, it was a Sunday much like this that my, my family uh, back in Birmingham, Alabama, on Sunday morning, our pastor was talking about orphans and he was sharing, you know, how many uh, children were in foster care uh, in our county, in Shelby County, uh, Birmingham, Alabama. 
And he said there's over 100 kids in, in foster care. And he said there's over 200 churches, uh, excuse me, over 200 families in this church that can care for these kids. And why should there be so many kids without a home? And so it was a big challenge and it was just kind of quiet across the room. And he said, after the service, there'll be a kiosk in the lobby. You know, I know God is calling some of you to get involved. And so lots of people went and my parents were one of them. I was a young kid and my parents started down the road uh, for foster care. The, the cool thing was they couldn't get a placement for over a year because there was no kids left in, in the whole county. So it was just, it was an amazing thing that God did uh, in the life of our church. But we started having kids in our, in our home, uh, lots of kids. Some of them came to know Christ while they were in my, my uh, parents' home. And then eventually, several years ago, my parents adopted uh, two of the boys they've been fostering for a while. So I have an 11-year-old and 14-year-old little brother uh, that my parents have adopted. They've kind of given up retirement and are just... They're professional parents. They're just keeping going. Um, so that's, you know, that was the first thing. And then uh, another thing in my life, some of y'all know the Mixons, Chris and Jordan Mixon. Uh, Chris and I were in college. We were, you, you can picture this. We're sitting in our dorm room. We're planning a spring break trip to the beach. And we're, you know, making all our plans, looking up what we're going to do, how we're going to get down there. We don't have any money. How's this going to work? Calling people, trying to find a place. And I get a phone call. This is in January, right after the earthquake happened in Haiti. And uh, it was a friend of mine whose uh, dad was a pastor in Birmingham, and they were looking for people to go serve in Haiti right in the aftermath of the earthquake. And so we got this call as we're sitting in the room with a bunch of my friends planning this trip, and we just kind of looked at one another and said, well, maybe we should go to Haiti for, for uh, spring break. And so we did. We went, to spring, we, we went to Haiti, and that's where God really started breaking my heart more for the plight of orphans uh, around the world. As y'all know, the Mixons are living over in Dominican Republic, do a lot of work with them as well. But that happened, and then Alice and I in college had an experience that led us uh, to Africa for six months. And I'll let Allison share a little bit about that. Yeah, we went and lived with a missionary couple there doing um, church planning and evangelism in the community. And the place where we lived, the mission compound where we lived, was across the street from an old orphan care center that had been started by um, an international group. And after about five years, they had built this huge building. And then they basically just said, okay, we're handing it over to you guys now. And they left. And so there was this huge building, but no funding, no way to generate income. And so the kids would just show up every day and some women from the community would just out of their own pockets try to feed them. Um, but it really broke my heart to see that. And I just thought, man, the, the church here is willing to do something, but they don't have the resources to do it. So anyways, that was kind of my first exposure, my first time meeting orphans, but it just kind of got seared in my mind, and um, we've been kind of addicted ever since then, so. Yeah, addiction's a funny thing when it comes to adoption. It's taking you guys to Lesotho and back home, uh, Mount I would say most people probably aren't uh, aren't there, but I would say I would venture a guess that maybe everyone here has wrestled with some degree of a calling. How would you guys help us uh, discern when God's calling you to do something? We all think about it. is it God? Is it me? How would you help us walk through that forward? Um, so we have in our ministry we have a lot of college students come over to serve with us, like maybe a hundred students a year, and just because of that juncture in life, a lot of them are struggling with this idea of how do I discern God's will for my life? And so many of them have come to us and asked us, you know, how do I know if God is calling me to do A, B, or C? Or how did you know? How did you, what kind of sign did God give you that you were supposed to be here in Lesotho? And our answer to them is honestly, 
there was no sign. There was no sign that it was specifically Lesotho. It was just years of walking with the Lord and abiding in his word. Um, I think if you abide in the word, then you recognize God's voice and you know his general will for your life, love God and love people. And then sometimes the specifics, I think he kind of allows you to follow your desire. And that's kind of what we did is we said, God, we see in your word what your will is, which is to love people. And we love Africa. And so we're gonna start walking um, and praying that Lord, if you shut the door, then and redirect our path, that's okay. Um, but God continued to to open the door. And so my encouragement to you, if you're waiting on God's call on your life, is to start walking in faith, knowing that he will gradually light your path. Um, and, and another encouragement, if when you're seeking God's will, and you start walking in that path, and it gets really difficult, and things start happening, and you think, this is all appears to be falling apart. You know, maybe I misunderstood that this was God's plan. I would just encourage you keep walking because hardships are not a sign that you're outside of God's will. Um, and if you can push through some of those times that seem like this is all falling apart, you know, maybe I missed it. And it seems like unless God intervenes, this is all going to just be a big mess. Um, trust that he will. There's been many times in our ministry where we've come to a juncture like that and he has intervened and rich, rich blessings will follow. Um, but I would just encourage you, you know, Brett said earlier, it's not gonna be written in the clouds. So if that's what you're waiting on, you might never take a step of obedience. Yeah, that is great. And that's so, such an encouragement. Please help me congratulate. Thank you. You got to watch out for Allison when she says, man, it's going to be, I I just have a little encouragement for you. Like she's going to cut you to the heart. Like she's just sweet like that. Uh, Next up is Nick Kaminer. His wife, Amanda, sadly couldn't be here. Their one-year-old daughter, Olivia, is sick. So Amanda's home uh, with baby Olivia. But uh, I'm going to call him Nick number one because I'm a Nick as well. But I'm like Nick number 101. And uh, so I want to make sure we're calling the right Nicks. Uh, they have a radical story of relationship that I'm so excited you get to hear. Uh, it's a story that really puts God's heart for the family on full display. So watch it, please. Okay, my name is Amanda Kaminer. And I'm Nick Kaminer. So I met Monty probably five years ago through Red Door. It's a tutoring program at Bonner Church and he was just one of the regulars and I met him and some of his friends and and uh, just during the summertime so they didn't have anything to do uh, we'd take them skiing and we'd take them to high heaven during the winter uh, like during Christmas break and and I just got to know him that way. Monty's dad has done a great job of raising him. Um, Monty's dad was a extremely compassionate person. He took in um, children that were not his biological children and took care of them. Um, His dad uh, worked hard, his dad worked nights to provide uh, for his family. And uh, we were up here at Red Door and um, I heard that Monty's dad had died. And I was immediately just crushed for Monty. Afterwards I went over to his house uh, just to check on him and he was, of course, completely devastated, and so were his sisters. And, and uh, I just cried with him. I just held him and cried with him for for probably about 30 minutes. Um, and I told him, I was like, it's like, man, I don't want to leave you, but I've got to go home to my family right now. 
so we went home and then probably the next day I told him him and his sister if y'all just need some place to sleep come to our house it's warm it's safe we'll feed you we'll worry about the details later and so that lasted for about a week for probably about five days um, and then Emily Harden put together a team to try to figure out what to do. And before we went to the meeting, uh, me and Amanda were eating dinner, um, and I knew the options weren't good. Um, the foster system at a, for a 16-year-old boy is not a good option. And Amanda said to me at dinner, she said, if you want to tell uh, Monty that he can come live with us, then that's fine. And when she said that, like we hadn't even really even been talking about it. And when she said that, I was like, Okay. It was just a situation of, of, of compassion. We, we, we knew Monty. There's no way that we're just going to leave him to, to the streets or leave him to the foster care system. Um, we had room and our heart was getting pulled in that direction and we were going to make sure that he was taken care of. Monty and Lassai came to our house um, and uh, Lassai stayed for a couple days and then she went back uh, to, to her family house um, and Monty stayed with us. He was still processing everything that was happening because um, in a matter of seven days um, his dad had died, um, his house had been involved in a drive-by shooting, like a trauma that people don't even take into consideration. But Monty went from a black world to a white world, and he was having to adjust to all of the um, just little cultural things that are that are just different. But again, that's another loss, and it's something that you may not consider. But that loss of, well, this is how I used to do it. This is what I used to eat, and now it's a totally different scenario. Monty is an incredibly resilient young man. And it's another testament to how well his father did in raising him. That he has experienced a lot of trauma, trauma that um, honestly has brought me to tears at times, where I just, I can't imagine someone his age experiencing what he has and still having a smile on his face. You know, I believe that God put me in Monty's life so that Monty would be taken care of after his dad died. But the argument is, well, why did God take Monty's dad? And Monty says, why did God take my dad? Um, and I don't have a perfect answer for that, um, but I'm happy to um, help finish raising Monty. You know, like I said, his dad did a great job raising His dad did 16 years of a great job and, and handed us a great kid. And, and we just, we have to finish now. I feel like we've already had so many prayers that have been answered just him becoming a family member has our it doesn't feel like oh we have our biological daughter and then we have another child like we have two children and he thinks of Olivia like his little sister she whenever he walks into the door from school like she runs to go greet him and it's those little things that show you that God is in the room yeah I guess as, as Monty matures I just want him to be a to be a man to chase after God to be independent um, and just 
That's, that's really what my prayer is for. I told y'all he was Nick number one, right? This guy, I'm telling you what. Look, uh, you guys jumped in at Red Door from the get-go, but, um, and that started something in you. What did it start in you? Um, Red Door, um, so, so my passions are local ministries and children, and Red Door checked both those boxes. Um, Red Door is an opportunity to mentor um, kids in the community and teach them. Uh, we meet uh, one day a week, uh, every Tuesday afternoons, whenever, whenever school's in session. And that felt like a big commitment to me to say, I'm going to be there every Tuesday for an hour and a half uh, for this kid that's depending on me. Um, and that was, that was kind of scary. Um, but Red Door, I've, I've been at Red Door um, for, I think, five or six years now, and it's been such a, it's just been such a blessing. Uh, I've mentored two, two young men, and um, instead of being scared of that commitment, whenever you lean into that commitment, um, you just get so much blessing back from it. Nice. That's nice. Um, now, you said you met Monty through Red Door, um, and then it's like God has always kind of ratcheted up the commitment. And uh, when his father passed away, you were there. Like um, some of us got there, but you had already been there, right? So then you said again, "Hey, come live with us." Like again, took it up another level. How'd you get there to that decision? Um, Nick asked me in the first service um, if we wrestled with it, and we we did not wrestle with it. We probably should have. Um, whenever Monty, or whenever I heard, whenever Walter told me uh, that Monty's dad died, um, my initial reaction was my heart broke for Monty. Um, my second reaction, half a second after that, was logistics. Uh, where is he going to sleep tonight? Uh, and I told, I told Walter, I said, if he wants to come sleep at our house, he's welcome to. Um, I didn't talk to my wife about that. I probably should have. Uh, but uh, she was, she's, she's an awesome woman. Um... So we went over to, to Monty's house, and, and, um, and I told him that, that he's welcome to come live with us. Um, and, but he stayed, he stayed at his house while we tried to work out the details. And, and that, was, that was all a temporary thing. Uh, it wasn't a huge commitment. And then over the next couple of days, um, we started to realize that if Monty uh, came to our house, that it was going to be permanent. Um, and then, then we did start to wrestle with some things. Uh, fear started to to step in. We started to ask questions like, um, "Do we have the financial capacity for this? Um, do we have the emotional capacity for this?" Um, at that point, we have a eight month old that just started sleeping, and <laughs> yeah, and how how is bringing in a fifteen year old boy going to affect our eight month old daughter? Um, what are our parents going to say to th- say about this? Um, all these, uh, what is the what is the legal question like? Can we just go pick up a fifteen year old and bring him to our house? Um, these are all real questions that were mounting up, and we were getting we're getting we're getting scared. Um, and I said, we're not going to make decisions on fear. I said, we're gonna we're gonna make decisions out of love and do what's best for Monty. 
saying yes isn't always easy, you know, and you mentioned some of the uh, inner challenges y'all had, emotional, financial, legal. Uh, how has God used this to kind of refine your character to look more like His character? Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen... Um, it's, it's, it's honestly reduced my anxiety, and it's increased my faith in how, how big our God is. Um, it's increased my faith that when, when we can't make the leap, um, that God can. Um, it's increased my faith that He will provide um, the emotional capacity, uh, the financial capacity. Um, the, it's um, just like they said, like just because it's easy doesn't mean that, 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 that that's what God necessarily wants you to do, but this has been very easy for us. Please help me. Thank you, Nick. Once again, I told you he's Nick number one. I fall in line behind you, man. Thank you. Uh, now I want you guys just to see a quick video um, of, of kind of a snapshot of other ways that Finder Church is involved in uh, defending the cause of the orphan. Does that song do something to you? <laughs> Me too. It says that God will send out an army to find you in the middle of the darkness, that he'll rescue you. There's no distance that he won't cover, right? You're not defenseless. It's so powerful and it's so true of who our God is. Psalm 68 says he's a father to the fatherless, a protector of widows. He settles the solitary in a home. It's amazing. Throughout the scriptures, our God is seen as a passionate father who fights for all of his kids. It's fundamental to our story as well. We are passionate for the orphan because it's who we used to be. You see, God's passionate. He fights for his kids. When my kids were infants, when, the, when both of my kids were infants, they would cry out. They would cry out when they had any kind of need, whether for, they were hungry or needed changing, uh, couldn't go back to bed, they were scared. You name it, they'd cry out because their cry would elicit a response. You see, when they cried, Kristen and I showed up. Contrast that with many of the orphanages around the world that are noticeably and horrifically silent. You see, the kids in those places don't cry out because there's no one there to help. In church, as Christians, that's a silence that we cannot stand for. We are passionate for the orphan because it's who we are. Those of us who put our faith in Jesus Christ have been adopted into the very family of God. And there's a problem with that, though. As good as that sounds, there's a real big problem with that. You see, to have been adopted into the family of God means there was a point at which we were not in the family of God. It's all of our stories. And matter of fact, it's why we adopt. It's why we foster. It's why we do like Rebecca. We engage in other forms of supporting the widow and the orphan. It's why. Each and every one of us was, ado- was adopted. We were all orphans. When God created humanity, he created us to be his children. We had unhindered access and uninhibited intimate relationship to the Father himself. The universe was meant to be a home, but sin ravaged our home. The result is that we were cut off from the Father, no more access. So when we cried out to the Father, we got silence in return. That's the reality of the world that we live in. There is silence for the orphan. The world we live in is an orphanage. Good news exists for those who us who have been adopted into the very family of God. We are headed to a great city where there are no more orphans. 
In Jesus Christ, we've been adopted into God's family. Paul, the Apostle Paul, says this in Galatians 4, verses 4 through 7. He's outlining God's very rescue plan for all orphans. He says this, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Galatians 4, verses 4 through 7, the first part of God's rescue plan is that he sent his son. In Jesus, God became a man, and as a man, God submitted himself to the process of adoption. Joseph of Nazareth is not Jesus Christ's biological father, but the scriptures rightly identify him as Jesus' real parent in Luke 2 and elsewhere. Even more, Jesus' identity as the Christ, as the very Savior of the world, is tied to his lineage back to Father Abraham and King David. That's an identity that Jesus received through adoption. You see, Matthew and Luke, both of them traced Jesus' heritage back to those guys through Joseph. Jesus, our God, was adopted. In the person of Jesus, the very word of God became flesh and he entered our orphanage. He broke the silence to rescue us and bring us into God's family. That is good news. Paul says that Jesus came for that very reason in Galatians 4. Two things here. He redeemed us and he gave us adoption. He he redeemed us, meaning to release a slave from the slave master by paying the slave's full price. When Jesus died on the cross, he paid our price. Sealed it. Dunzo. He also gave us adoption as sons. When Jesus died and rose again, he not only transferred our sins from us, but he transferred every right and every privilege of a son to us. As adopted children of God, we are headed to a city where there is no orphanage. There's no need for them. There are no orphans in that great city. Second part of God's great rescue plan for all orphans. First, he sent his son. Second, he sent his spirit. His son's work brings us an objective, legal reality, a legal right that we call adoption. We become heirs. We become sons, whether or not we feel it. The Spirit's work is different. The Spirit's work lets us experience that actually. The Spirit's work lets us feel what it's like to be a son of the Most High God. The Spirit's work also gives us the passion necessary to do something about the great orphan problem of silence. Paul says the Spirit leads us to cry out, Abba, Father. That word cry drips with intensity. It brings deep feeling and profound passion. It's the same word that Jesus used hours before he was crucified, recorded in Mark 14, verse 36. He said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. That's the kind of intense passion that moves people to act just as it moved Jesus toward his passion, the cross. He's the one who screamed from the cross, not to a father who was near, but to a God who was far. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God is so passionate about the orphan's cause that he not only submitted to adoption, he willingly orphaned himself in our place. Jesus endured the orphan's silence. At the cross, God laid the foundation for a brand new city and it is one without orphans. We get a role in that. 
we get to join him in building that great city. The Spirit drives us to cry from the bottom of our hearts, Abba, Father, this is not how it's supposed to be. Fix this, Father. Deliver us from this orphanage. The Abba cry is a groan. It's a longing for what will be. Church, we are not okay. We're not okay with the silence of the orphanage. When the orphan cries, the church must stand. Why? Because our Father did. He stood up for the orphan. So the question is not if we would support the cause of the orphan. The question is how will we? A few things that we can do. First and foremost, we have got to pray. We've got to pray. Allison said it earlier. Nick said it too. We didn't really wrestle with the question. Allison said, when she's dealing with the calling of God, she said, man, we just wanted to. God gave us a desire. We abided. We took steps forward. We just, our, our will became his will. Right? Ask God how you fit into his greater purpose of adoption. Maybe you're called to adopt. Maybe you're called to foster. Maybe you're called to jump in in some other way. But ask first. Secondly, give. Give. When you give of your resources here, you are most assuredly supporting the cause of the orphan. Local and abroad, you saw the video. Local and abroad, we fight fatherlessness and we fight child and human trafficking in our backyard and around the world. When you give your resources here, you're giving to the orphan's cause. Lastly, serve. Serve. Every step of obedience begins with a small step. Just a small step. Here's one for you guys. In the, mid, in the middle of uh, December, we host the, the only Hines County Christmas party for foster care, for people in the foster care system. Only one. All 81 counties in our state have been doing this for years, but the problem in Hines County was seen as too big. So what Finder Church said, <laughs> we do what we always do. We threw a party. We enjoyed the gospel. The orphans in Hines County got silent. They got silenced from the, from the system. But Finder Church threw a party. It's a big deal. Over 500 people who are in the fight are served from our gym back behind us. It's a big deal. It takes about 100 people to pull that off. So we got lunch on the lawn set up. I hope you guys will cancel your lunch plans if you don't. If you got them already, I hope you'll come. If you don't have plans, right out there in those doors, out in our green space. Emily Moore and her team is set up. Emily helps us run that event. She's there to give you the information you need about fostering or help you sign up for the event. I hope you will go and see her, please. It is a big deal. In closing, and as the band comes up, I'm gonna try to give you a picture of what the foster system looks like in our backyard, okay? So bear with me just a little bit, okay? Let's see. Um, Austin Moore, you and Bethany, will you stand up all the way to the front row to Wesley? Would y'all stand up, please? Susan, Austin, would you please stand up, Tyler? You guys represent the 40 children who are in the Madison County foster system. 40 kids right now, as of November the 1st, are in the Madison County system. Now let's see. Um, Michael Wilkerson, will you stand up? And all the way down to the front, right up, right up here if you're able. Please stand. These folks represent the 52 people, the 52 kids who are in the Rankin County system. Okay, as of November 1st, 4,407 children were in the foster care system of Mississippi. 40, Rankin, I'm sorry, Madison, 52 in Madison. Now everyone stand up. We represent the 342 children who are in the system of Hines County. Yes, the great orphan problem is a big problem 
but it is not too big for the church. When the orphan cries, we stand. That's what the church does. You see that graphic? That's our backyard, 342 in Hines, 52 in Rankin, 40 in Madison. These are children with souls. They're loved deeply by the Father. And we get a chance to picture that. So ask God where you fit in. It's not a question of if. It's a question of how will you. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father, we thank you for that word. We can call you that. There was a time at which we didn't deserve to use that word. We couldn't. When we talked to you, it fell on deaf ears. But you brought us in. You cared so much about us who were far from you that you stepped into our orphanage. You submitted the process of adoption through your son and you orphaned yourself in our place. God, you are leading us to a city where there are no more orphanages because there are no orphans. God, make your kingdom here as it is in heaven and would you use our church. God, I pray for each individual heart, Lord, if you would prompt them that they would do as Allison said, take a small step forward. Just take steps forward. God, thank you that we can call you Father. Through Christ, I pray, amen.